This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I am Tan Chen Lee. On today's show, we are looking at shopping malls. Kuala Lumpur alone has close to 200 shopping malls and there are constantly new ones being built and launched. Despite pandemic conditions with a softer retail market, the latest additions to the pool of shopping malls are Tropicana Gardens Mall, Pavilion Bukit Jalil, Lala Port and several others in the works. But not all malls do well from the beginning, while some took a few cycles to reach a sizable footfall. Those that did not do well have few tenants and some had to close off certain floors to control costs and even close down completely. So what factors make and break a mall? And what can we do with these struggling malls? Morley Menon, Director of Retail Services at Savills Malaysia, tells us more. Good morning, Morley. Welcome to the show. Hi, morning. So shopping malls are a very unique class of property asset and not all malls are created equal. Could you give me a sense of the KL market? How many malls are actually doing well? Well, in terms of, if you look at shopping malls, there are the usual top 10. We, we always have a list of the top ranking malls and there is a typical top 10 malls which have been around for quite some time and they, are all, they have been consistently performing well. But other than that as well, you have a whole lot of uh, typical neighborhood centers and neighborhood shopping malls as well, which are thriving and which have been doing well over the years. At the end of the day, it's not really about which ones do well or which ones do not do well. It's about, at the end of the day, what they are offering to the retailer for the shoppers and for the immediate community. That is probably what decides uh, how long they're able to sustain and be able to continue to thrive. So what kind of offering does the mall need to have so that it would attract the crowd? I think at the end of the day, it's basically the fundamentals of what that shopping mall is providing. It is... So the, the reasons for failure are sometimes pretty obvious, but we don't realize it. You either build too big or you build it without the right kind of access. So there's a problem with the design, with the layout. And of course, the third factor is what are you putting into the mall? Because you are catering to a certain target market. Do we have the software or the tenants that cater to that particular market? A lot of times, you know, when uh, malls are built, it's, it's sometimes we hear developers saying, uh, even before the mall is built, they have a list of tenants they want to put in, which may not work because you really need to understand, first of all, who you're catering to, what's the target market, how big is that catchment. That catchment actually decides the size that you want to build. We cannot come in and say, I want to build a mall and I will only build one million. Is there a market for that? And then if I build one million, what am I going to fill it up with? Yeah, and when I look at the malls that we have in KL right now, say, for example, Pavilion KL versus yeah. Fahrenheit 88 or KLCC and Avenue K, even the shops at Four Seasons Place, they're at the same location, but the footfall is so different. Why is the difference in terms of the crowd that they are attracting? Well, I mean, since you mentioned Pavilion, I mean, when Pavilion started off, they had to struggle as well. You know, it took some, about at least three years, you know, the first term for them to build up to where they are. The advantage they have is, of course, a fantastic location and the fact that they also have a very great layout. You know, it's a simple, straightforward, wide corridors, line of visibility, a line of sight is very clear, parking, you know, plenty of parking, multiple access points to come in. 
Then if you look at some of the other malls, which you just mentioned, which have not done well, but probably in the same, within the same vicinity or in the five to 10 minute radius, these are some of the factors they don't have. You know, if you look at it, some of the malls, the access, you see the mall, you might, if you're driving, you just sort of drive past because the access to get into the mall, you probably need to make a U-turn and come back and find the car park and go in. So automatically you lose out. You know, you the, the, the shopper or the, the tar- person you're targeting, it's easy for them to go forward. There's another option, which is easy. Whichever way, direction I come in from, I find Pavilion has multiple access points, wherever you're driving in from. And that is very, very critical for any retail. And, and then within the shopping mall is the same thing. And once you park, you come up, where do you come up? How easy is it to come up? How convenient is your car park itself? Or do you have to go around and around in circles trying to find, of course, Pavilion has a good problem that when it's really peak time, you really still don't get parking, but that's a good problem. People don't mind because, you know, at the end of the day, the experience that they get once they come out is, is good enough. So I, from what I hear from you so far, some of the factors that is important to a success of the mall are accessibility, the location, the mall layout. Then I want to ask you about tenant mix. Because I see a lot of developers, they still offer strata lots or strata titles. So they have no control over the tenants that they have. Why are they still doing this? Is it because of a cash flow reason? Strata, yeah, that is the easy way out because you sell and and then the problem is not yours anymore. And that is actually the beginning of the problem from there on. So especially if it's a mix, you know, you have part of it as strata and part that you're still controlling, but at the end of the day, you end up having no control. So we, in fact, even as consultants, even when we are looking at projects, we sort of stay away because that is the biggest nightmare. But yeah, the main reason, I guess, is that it's easy cash in. I mean, you get your cash out and then after that, it's not your problem. And I wonder, are the criteria the same for neighborhood malls? Totally. I mean, there there has to be. There is a, There are huge differences. I mean, city center, again, typically you're catering to the working crowd. You know, so, so it's whatever you are. And of course, tourists. And if you're big enough in terms of size and the offering, you can have your weekend crowd because you can pull. You, know, you have the strength to pull. Whereas on the other hand, a neighborhood center or a community center, as we would like to call it going forward, is all about what you can offer to your immediate community, the services and the offerings that they need, which is why we see now post-COVID a lot of the neighborhood centers doing much better. It's, you know, you get your, you have a good supermarket, you have F&B, you have other services. And if you can engage the community in terms of other activities that they that they need and they, they, that they're looking for, it makes it even more thriving because you bring back people. At the end of the day, I think, again, malls work because you need to get the people to come back again and again. So city center is your office crowd. So you have your lunch crowd, your post-work crowd, whether it's a happy hour crowd or whatever you call it. In fact, a lot of city center malls have that challenge. How do you retain the crowd beyond six, seven o'clock? Because suddenly the mall becomes empty because you're over-dependent on the office crowd. So you need to have something to retain them beyond that. So again, the demographics really affect what kind of uh, tenant mix you put in and what kind of services you offer. Sounds like a mixture of many factors for malls to work. But despite this, I think we still see a lot of malls being built and being launched. And I wonder what is motivating developers to build new malls? Uh, it's it's a uh, because okay today if you look at it in terms of uh, total number of malls, it's like, I think Malaysia has over three hundred sixty, and KL itself is hitting close to two hundred malls. In terms of uh, the you know mall retail space available, 
Greater KL is at almost 71 million square feet. You're talking about Q1 of 2022. That's like 8.8 square foot per person, per capita retail space available, highest in the region, higher than Singapore, higher than even Bangkok, and higher than Shanghai. And what kind of population do we have? So yeah, so there is there is definitely what we call uh, oversupply. Mm-hmm. Part of the oversupply, I, I guess, would be also wrong sizing. It's not that you know there are too many malls, but there are many malls which are too big, no, not, not not the right size. So it's a again, a, well, retail and shopping mall is the glamour part of any development. So of course, if you're doing a mixed development, you need to have retail to cater. To, you know, whoever you're bringing in, either as office tenants or residential uh, buyers or tenants, they need some retail. But beyond that, do you have a catch? That's what we call the primary target market or the primary catchment. Beyond that is what you can attract from outside. So I guess this is where we, when I say we as developers or whatever, a lot of developers or planning stage go wrong is that we do not do a proper study. And I think... This is the most important thing, again, learning from COVID and going forward. It's better to be safe than to be sorry. So data is important. So online, if you look at it, the biggest success factor of online business is that data because every customer who shops, you know about him, you know how him or her, how many times they're visiting your site, what are they buying, what they're looking at. Similar data is also available for physical retail. Similar data is available to look at catchment profiles, where they go, what do they do today with mobile? I mean, and, and, and the kind of information that we as mobile users share, there's a huge amount of data and there are data aggregators who are you know, supplying this data. All you need to do is get it, analyze it and understand better as to what is the size of the market that you can reach out to and then decide what is the size that you need to build rather than cut before horse, is like, I'm building a mall, I'm going to build a 1 million square feet mall. And then, okay, now figure out what do we put in there. But but sometimes... That's again, a disaster. But I also understand, right, in terms of the, uh, for developers to make a mixed development to work, you need to have this commercial or retail segment to attract the crowds. But usually, this commercial portion is built first then wouldn't developers want to ensure the success of the malls so that they can demonstrate to the other parts of the development that their project is successful? Yes, that is the logical process. That's the way it should be. So <laughs> you, you nailed it. That's the way it should be. It's just that I guess sometimes uh, get carried away in terms of you know what you want to build and, and, uh, and that's where things go wrong. Right? At the end of the day, even, even building you know, malls, even if it's a small neighborhood center, we, we keep advising people... Uh, yeah, you have plot ratio. You want to b- build it up to three floors and four floors. But you do, first, the first challenge is filling up as we go up. Because retail, if you talk to typical retailers, the higher floors are not attractive for them. Secondly, your rental returns drop drastically as you go uh, higher up. And so, so, but then, so what's the point? You know, at the end of the day, you are building and saying, I'm creating this NLA, but that is actually just pulling you down. I am speaking to Murli Manon, Director of Retail Services at Savills, Malaysia. We will be back with more on shopping malls in Kuala Lumpur. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run and I am Tan Chen Lee. With me today is Murli Manon, Director of Retail Services at Savills, Malaysia, on why shopping malls struggle to attain footfall and can these malls be revived at all? 
So I want to ask you, and this is something that I'm really curious about, and I think you mentioned a little bit as well just now, what are the best practices that developers could employ before embarking on a project? I I guess uh, the first and foremost is to understand where your project is and who you are building that particular development or project for. So you understand your primary catchment, you understand your secondary catchment, how big is that market? You definitely need to understand supply. So we cannot be living in isolation and saying, okay, I want this part of the road, I build another mall. No, you, you really need to look at your the supply in, your, in, the, in the same catchment. What are you up against? What are they offering? And vis-a-vis, what can you offer? At the end of the day, even the brands and the services that you have, it's limited. You don't have a few hundred or a few thousand brands. So if you're going to have similar brands across the road, you're actually dividing the same shoppers. It doesn't help anyone. You, Yeah, you got some amount of the business from the mall across, but you did not get the full business. So both tend to end up suffering in the long run. So it's back to doing your own research and study, analyze the data that you have, and then plan out what is the ideal or optimal size and what, therefore, from there on, what is the kind of mix that we need to put in, depending on the target that you're catering to. The best part, as I said, is today in this digital and mobile world, believe me, you have millions and millions of, uh, or even trillions probably of data available of what people are actually doing, where they are going, even if they are living in a particular area, what percentage of the time they spend in other parts, what do they shop, where do they go, where do they eat? So the information is all available. All we need to do is look at that and then figure out what we need to do to get your core target in. And I, I'm, I want to ask you also about the struggling mall solution, because just now you also mentioned a little bit about repurposing them. But is repurposing struggling malls a solution to the problem? It depends on how bad the problem is. In some <laughs> cases, I guess, it's better to just eradicate and rebuild. It, it, there are, I mean, there are situations without naming names, there are, you know, you they don't even have a reason to exist. So you might as well just take the hit and say, okay, I remove this and put in something else. But in other cases, like you said, yes, it could be an issue of size. It could be an issue of mix. If it is an issue, if it's a design issue, again, typically, you know, retrofixing is always more expensive. But if there is a market, if the catchment is strong enough and you feel that it can work, it's worth it. Because rather than living with a bad design or a poor layout, you know, simple changes can make a huge amount of difference. And these can be just even internal changes. You know, the, the traditional old-fashioned malls we'll see multiple corridors, so you don't even see what's in the next corridor. Whereas the the simplest and the best efficient retail is where your line of sight is clear. So you know where you're headed. In fact, this is something as consultants and we are engaging with developers and even with architects, nothing against architects, is that sometimes design takes precedence and you come out with a fancy design and a curved corridor and blind corners. It doesn't work because we are building a mall for the retailer to to have a successful business. We are building that mall to make sure that the shoppers have a good shopping experience, not that they don't know, you know, you're in one corridor and you're lost and you need to figure out, or if I need to go from A to B or A kind of product to a B kind of service, it's like almost, you almost need a Google map to find your way there. It doesn't work. Today's day and age is all about convenience. So we always say, keep it simple, keep it straight, keep your line of sight right. 
it'll work. You don't need fancy design for anything to work. But in, if you put in the right kind of retailers and right kind of products and services, it'll work. But of course, then mm-hmm. and the other part is the repurposing part. Yeah. So in some cases, like you said, if it is a if it is an issue of a size and you know that your actual retail can be scaled down, the rest of the retail is not a waste of space. If you are able to put in, you know, product services or activities which engage the community and which bring back the people. And this is we are seeing this happening now. As long as you as a as a landlord, we are not expecting to be greedy and say, oh, that level, that space on the fourth floor, I'm going to put in childcare center or elderly care center, but I need to get the same kind of rent. It's not going to be working. But what happens is if you put in a, a service which is useful and which can bring back the people, the rest of the retailers are happy. And, and again, post-COVID, we're seeing a lot of commercial terms moving from fixed to a combination of fixed and variable rental, which is linked to turnover. So at the end of the day, you win. You know, as long as as long as the retailers do well and you get a share of that, you're happy. So we need to work hand in hand and see what can bring in the people, what can make them come back to your shopping center, spend more time. Because the more time you spend, the more money you spend. It's pretty obvious. It's, it's like a, it's not even rocket science. Yeah. But which are the successful examples out there in terms of repurposed malls? Unfortunately, not many here yet. Yeah, there have been <laughs> talks and there are discussions. But there is uh, nothing that we have seen as a major breakthrough success. But if you look at some of the bigger malls, the regional malls, because they have you know the the infrastructure and the deep pockets, they have been able to put in a whole range of activities that you know you know whether it's indoor skating or or even uh, surfing and things like that. These are additional attractions. So you are trying to cater to a wider audience and bring different people into your mall. But we also have to remember they cost a lot in terms of investment and, and the ROIs from that particular activity may not be there, but the rest of the retail, you'll see it. So again, it depends as a retailer or as a, as a landlord, what is the perspective that you have and what is the kind of investment appetite that we have? Uh, the, if you don't have that kind of investment appetite, you might as well go to a, things like childcare centers or futsal, badminton, these kind of activities where you don't need heavy investment in infrastructure. If you have the space, you're able to bring back uh, people more often. And what about malls that have been abandoned or halfway constructed? Is there any chance of these malls being revived? Well, some of them have been abandoned for the right reasons. Is that probably along the way you realize that it, it, there is not much of, uh, there's no future potential there. So it's a wrong decision from the start. If there is a way to go in, and again, like I said, you if you were planning to start and build a two million mall, and then you realize no, and now you know on hindsight or you're wiser, then probably you could rebuild, resize it, and then. That's where you get you're able to probably bring in other components, whether it's resi or you know what have you. If that is a potential, yeah, it can be done. But otherwise, a lot of the abandoned projects are really uh, well deserved to be abandoned. I would <laughs> yeah. say because they they never had a chance in the first place. And I also want to ask you about your view on the trend in terms of uh, more developments. Is the trend moving towards smaller setups like Mount Carol One Six Three or the stories of Taman Tunku? They have a role to play, definitely. And and I think, uh, again, COVID has sort of uh, made it even more obvious. People prefer the, ne- the nearby neighborhood centers, 
easy to go, whether it's just for F&B or just F&B and services where you don't really need to, it's not a planned trip. At the same time, when you want to do your heavy, serious shopping, you go to the mega malls and the big malls where you need to go through the, you know, you need to get your car out, drive, then think of parking and then spend a longer time there. Yeah, so it is, both have a role. It's then, again, like I said, both definitely complement each other, but one shouldn't try to be the other. So, you know, you don't want the 163 to try and say, I want to compete with a, with a mega mall or a, with, or a gardens or, you know, or a pavilion. So you have a role, you stick to that role and you fulfill that role and it'll work. Similarly, the mega malls have a role to play. It's basically you need to have the critical mass of the, the range and type of brands and the number of brands so that you can pull in from a further radius in terms of target market. You are, you are able to be the magnet which is why you see even, you know, malls, some classic example is IOI Putrajaya. You know, they are out there, but they're able to pull in the crowd simply because they have everything in terms of, you know, as, as far as F&B brands and everything is concerned and, and it's working. So it's all about you as a mall, you decide what you want to be and then stick to that purpose. That is all the time we have today on The Property Show on The Morning Run. I have been speaking to Murli Menon, Director of Retail Services at Savos Malaysia, on shopping malls and why some of them do well while some do not. I am Tan Chen Lee, signing off for The Morning Run. We have the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.